Well, good morning. It's great to see you today. Just uh, echo what Ben said. Mark Bain is someone who, if you're interested in uh, just having or being better equipped and how, in, how to have faith conversations with your friends, family, coworkers, and if you want to be challenged also and inspired by someone whose life has just um, been used by God and uh, he's just a really cool story. Then uh, Mark Bain, it's uh, Friday night and then Saturday during the day um, this weekend. Uh, I just, it's our way of trying to be proactive and giving you opportunities to uh, just be equipped, to be equipped. The church should be trying to equip its people. And so I can't echo uh, any better what Ben said. Uh, Mark Bain is, is a phenomenal guy uh, that you'll walk away and you'll, you'll, uh, you won't be disappointed, I promise you that. But, um, you know, anybody ready for college football? Yeah? Three? Man, this is Ohio, right? So get this. I am in Defiance Coles. Defiance Coles, Northwest Ohio. I'm walking by the sporting goods rack. This is not a joke. You can go there after service. Yes, sir. Look at that, right in the middle of Buckeye country. I about fell over. That's right, man. Yeah, I've heard it already. They couldn't sell them in Iowa, so they sent them here. It's the Clarence rack and da, da, da. That was pretty cool right there. The takeover is slowly beginning now. No, I thought that was pretty cool. But hey, we're in the middle of seven churches. As we're thinking about, as we're coming to um, our 50th celebration, September 30th, remind you of that. 50 years, God has faithfully uh, come to us here in this community through this church, and it changed countless lives, and it built his kingdom. But as you come to those milestones, those markers, like we do in our own personal lives, you start to kind of self-assess, Right? Um, self-diagnose. Where am I at? Who am I? Who have I been? Where am I going? And uh, just thinking about uh, thinking about 50 years uh, here, and um, what is the word saying to us? What could the word say to us? I was attracted to this this really um, unique, powerful couple chapters in the book of Revelation, right? We most of all think of Revelation as um, uh, future events, uh, and, and it is for about 19 chapters. But the first two or three, the first three chapters, um, it's this unique look where Jesus Christ himself appears to John, and um, it's 60 years after he has left and went back to heaven and his church has started. And he gives us a unique perspective, his perspective, God's perspective, on what has happened in his church for 60 years. And so he writes, he has John write these letters to these seven churches that are scattered throughout Asia Minor, uh, the, the place where Paul had spent significant time in his missionary journeys, this place where the church had sprung up in the world and, and actually became a catalyst for what um, uh, moved the world toward Christianity in so many places, attracted so many people to Jesus. And uh, kind of for us, it's like that's where it all began is in this area. Asia Minor, Asia Minor, Asia Minor, and um, 
and, and he's, these seven churches um, that, we've, uh, that we're gonna look at. We talked about Ephesus last week. Ephesus is the mother church. It's where Paul came and spent a couple years teaching and living and, and seeing a church grow up. And out of that, this whole area was evangelized for Jesus. And these seven towns, seven cities, it's a postal route, how the mail would have went out, um, uh, or the church where churches had been formed. And Jesus tells John, I want you to write these letters. 60 years in, I want to Share with them what I'm seeing, what is reality, what is truth, what you need to know, how things are going from my perspective. And he writes, and most of those churches, he, write, he writes a letter, and it's, it's a short letter, and it, it kind of is the good, the bad, and the promise most of the time. Ephesus last week, it was that way. It's the good. Man, you guys, you guys have got it all down. You know, you know exactly what to believe. You are not fooled by false teaching, and you have been faithful. You are always faithful to do these things. You, are, you, you check the list off. You've done all the boxes, but in the middle of that, you have totally lost your, your love for me. There is no relationship anymore. It's just you're living. It's a going through the motions church, right? But I wanted to remind you that as we look at these churches and we think about our church, are we a going through the motions church? We also need to realize is that churches become that way. Churches fail because, first of all, individuals fail. And so this series, these seven churches, are a look at, at yes, what can happen to churches, but it's also really a look at what can happen in our individual hearts and lives. And my question I would like for you to ask each week is, is this letter that Jesus wrote, would he send this letter to my home, to my mailbox? Would this be what he would say about me? And for, and for seven, uh, seven different instances, these seven churches were represented then. They are represented now. These, these seven churches are represented right now because when Jesus speaks, he's authoritative in nature and he speaks all-encompassing in his truth. And so right now, there, is a going through the mo there are going through the motion churches. There are the different churches represented uh, in, this, in this book, but there's also, they are representative of our lives. And there are many going through the motions people that live day in and day out. They've got the boxes all checked. They're, they do this and that. They look a certain way. They definitely believe the right things. And yet there is no ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so most of the time it's good, bad, promise. The church we want to look at today, Smyrna, 35 miles north of Ephesus, there's the good and there's the promise. Two of the churches he has nothing bad to say about. And that's what Smyrna is. Um, uh, it's, it's a unique church. What I want to do, though, is before I jump in, I, I want to show you this short video. It's nothing but uh, pictures. Um, to just kind of give you a little context, kind of draw you in. Um, maybe some of you experience these things, but all of us can relate to different instances in our lives kind of looking like this. Play that video.
So I personally have experienced one of those things. Um, Break your key off, right? You're really stuck. Uh, Today is really a chance for us to kind of think about adversity. This church represents to us a church that faced tremendous adversity, tremendous trial, tremendous suffering. And what can we believe or know, or what should we clue into about adversity? Because all of us, those are simple things. Some of them not so much. I've never stepped on my charger yet, but I'm trying not make sure I try not to do that. Um, but what can we understand? Dan, Dan Boone, Dr. Boone, is uh, president of uh, Trevecca Nazarene, kind of posed this question. He said, what if we could have 100 years ago, we could have taken somebody that lived 100 years ago, and we could have put them into a chamber and frozen them. They're trying to do that, right? And he said, what if we would have frozen them for 100 years, and today we would take them out of that chamber, um, and we would, we would have them for just a week do nothing but watch Christian television. Now, they've not been around for 100 years. They have no idea what the church is like. They have no idea. What if they were to just watch Christian television for a week? He said, after that, we could bring them in and say, hey, what are you learning? What are you knowing? What, what's being said? He said, there's probably been a, there, he said there would probably be a lot of different things that would be said. Um, but he said he's pretty sure that these things would definitely come to the surface. If it's broken, God will fix it. If it's sick, God will heal it. If it's bad, God will stop it. And he also dropped in this point, <laughs> and I, I didn't change that. God has a lot of addresses in which you can send money to, right? Can't help but see that. But I, I would have to say he's, he's exactly right. A lot of the modern mindset is God is gonna fix, heal, and stop it. Now, don't get me wrong. I have prayed this past week for God to fix, heal, and stop. I have. I'm not saying those are wrong things. But that becomes the focal point. That becomes what God does to us. That's who he is. Kind of fits our culture. Our culture is, is head over heels on how... On how and trying to avoid pain, to have comfort, and to live longer. Now, again, sign me up for all those things. But the church has adopted this mentality so often that God is going to fix, heal, and stop. That's what he does. That's what he's supposed to do. And what happens is we begin to feel like, because inevitably in all of our lives, God has not fixed something. God has not healed someone. And God has not stopped something bad from happening. And what inevitably happens is we begin to believe that because God didn't do that for me, then I must displease God. There must be something about my relationship with him that's off. I I just, I'm not right. On the flip side, If God does fix and heal and stop something, we can begin to adopt this mentality that I absolutely am pleasing God and God God has favored me and and all this mentality. Problem is, is when you begin to open the scriptures and read, you begin to see that God 
does not always fix, heal, and stop. And Smyrna is like exhibit A for this in understanding this. To understand Smyrna, you would understand a, a, uh, a city, about 75,000 or a little bit larger. Very booming city. What's interesting about Smyrna is 600 years or so before this was written, Smyrna was this, this nice-sized city that all of a sudden was captured and was flattened and nothing remained. And for a hundred years, you could have ridden on your whatever, donkey, horse, whatever, by and saw just ruins, saw just remains of what was a city. For a hundred years, it was a ghost town, it was a ghost area. Slowly, some people started to rebuild it. And then it started to gain momentum until 300 years after it was demolished, it was built back larger than it ever had been before. It was greater than it ever had been. Out of nothing sprung up this city. In fact, the Romans referred to this city, Smyrna, as the city that had died yet lives. That's how they saw it. It was amazing. It was something the people were proud of. It was something that they identified with. There was nothing, and now there's just... It was a city that had went hook, line, and sinker into all that was Rome. It became an epicenter of Roman worship. In fact, in the middle of that city was a hill, and there were temples around that hill. And in fact, they, would call, they called Smyrna the crown of Asia because it was so beautiful, and it looked like a head with, with those temples around it. It looked like a crown on top of this head. It was a, it was a booming city. It was, it was a uh, affluent city. Um, and it was a city... That in the middle of all that, a group of Christians came together and a church was formed. The thing about that city is they were at the forefront of Roman worship of gods. And Rome had this problem. They had so many different gods that the people gra- gravitated toward uh, that, that they realized that they were not united. And so they began to force the people to uh, s- to worship these these united gods and in order to do that they developed this kind of this kind of system where every year you had to go as a, a citizen of that city you had to go to the temple to the main temple and you had to burn incense to the god to the gods and once you did You were given a certificate. You carried that certificate around. That proved your allegiance and commitment to Rome. There were two groups of people that did not do this. The Jewish people would not do it. And Rome had had come to grips with that. Okay? We're never going to get the Jews to do this. We'll give them a pass. The other group of people were Christian people who refused to have any other Lord except for Jesus Christ. Caesar was not Lord. And so the Smyrna church began to face tremendous persecution because they refused to worship Rome. 
um, if you were to begin to read what Jesus said to this church, you would, you, would, you would read this. To the angel in the church of Smyrna, right, to the pastor, right. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. This is Jesus' way of saying, hey, you live in a city where they celebrate out of nothing became something, something that Rome says was dead and lives. I just want to remind you that I am the first and the last. I am the one who was dead and now lives. And he writes to these people who are surrounded by this idea, this, wow, this human ingenuity, how they built the city out of nothing, how they had all this pride in their own accomplishments. And he reminds them, listen, guys, all around you is people who celebrate their own, but I'm the one who's the first and the last. And my death and coming to life again is the only resurrection that matters. And he writes this to them. He writes, I know your affliction and your poverty. What had happened is because of their faith in Jesus Christ, it had affected them not only socially but economically. You didn't have a certificate. You didn't show allegiance to Rome. You didn't get business deals. You suffered economically. It had gotten to a point where they were so persecuted that not only were they persecuted socially, they were impoverished because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I know that. I see that. Yet you are rich. Just a reminder, a sideline, that what God sees is not what this world values. And he says, you look impoverished, but you're rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. He says, and here's the other thing we need to understand about Smyrna. Not only were they persecuted by the Roman government, but there was a significant group of Jewish people that had landed in Smyrna, and they hated Christians. Remember Jesus walking this earth, the Pharisees, the Jewish people actually ended up killing him. That had not stopped. And what they would do was they would slander Christians at every possible point they could, in every possible way. They also would, would report them to the Jewish author, or to the Roman authorities and say, hey, they're not, they're not pledging allegiance to Rome. And, and they would get them in trouble. They would get them caught. They would slander them everywhere. And Jesus said, listen, these people who were my chosen people, they're not acting like they were ever supposed to, so I don't even consider them Jew. And he said, they are actually becoming tools, instruments of Satan himself to persecute you. And you see, you have this dynamic, this group of Christian people who are being afflicted, who are, being, who are facing adversity in a way that is severe, uh, that word afflicted is that the idea of being crushed down, a weight being put on you, and it's literally crushing you down. Have you ever felt that way? The circumstances of life, it's just pinning you in, crushing you down. That's this kind of affliction. It's just literally trying to suffocate you out. In fact, that word reminded me, I don't know if you remember this, about... Um, it was 2007, so 11 years ago. Remember Minneapolis, I-35, the bridge just collapsed? You guys remember that? Yeah, 
Some of you guys, teenagers, know. I don't know what you're talking about. I remember that coming home and just watching the news for like two hours. This is a Midwestern city. Like bridges I drive on a lot. You drive on, all of a sudden one of them just collapsed. I don't remember how many people died. It was, it was a fair amount. It was an awful day. I mean, that's a traumatic thing. And they found when they studied it that when they had built it, um, the support structure had been fine for when they built it. But over the years, they had done projects up on top of the bridge. And they had poured more concrete. They had added different things. And the support structure was only good for what they had built in the beginning. It could not accommodate the added pressures. And it just, it just collapsed. And he said, you're facing that kind of pressure that's wanting to collapse you. I see your affliction I see how this is absolutely trying to destroy you. And he said, I get that not only is it on one side, it's on another. You are absolutely surrounded by it. And this is what he says to them. I am going to fix it, heal it, and stop it. Is that what he said? He did not say that. And this is where you and I need to clue in to something about adversity. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have trouble. Adversity. And although I cry out and you cry out many times for God to fix it, heal it, stop it, he does not always heal it fix it, stop it. In fact, these are his words to people going through adversity first and foremost. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He says to them, don't be afraid about what you're to suffer. I tell you, the devil, that's a whole other sermon. We need to see things from a spiritual perspective all the time. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. What would happen often with Rome, they would imprison Christians and they would decide what their sentence was within 10 days. There was no appeal process. There was no, you know, like we have today, 10 days. We want to deal with this swiftly. We want to deal with it in a way that it makes a statement to everybody. We imprison you. We're going to decide, hey, you're going to stay imprisoned. We're going to execute you, whatever. But the word for you and I, because none of us are facing that right now, right? None of us. Give me a heads up if you're in that kind of situation, all right? But the words to anybody in adversity from Jesus is, first of all, do not be afraid. Fear is an unbelievable thing. You know, the other night, Keegan had some friends over, and they were doing stuff, and they wanted to watch a movie. Well, Keegan's 12 years old, right? And so they had picked a movie, and, and his friends were there. And, and I have another son, Colby, right, who's seven, who's kind of on the outskirts, right? He's, you know, you know how that dynamic is. One has friends over, the other one. He wanted to be around, and, and uh, I hated to, you know, but there's a difference in what a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old can watch a lot of times. 
And um, I was like, ah. I kind of just caved a little bit. I said, hey, just, just let him watch it with them, this movie, right? And um, just worried about it scaring him a little bit because he's a little bit older than he was. And Halfway through the movie, he happened to come in. He was getting something like popcorn or whatever. And if you know Colby, you just appreciate this. But um, Nicole stopped, and we were standing, her and I were standing talking, and he came through and stopped him and said, Hey, Colby, you okay? You know, is it okay? And Colby, you know how he stutters a little bit. And he, uh, <laughs> he goes, uh, uh, It's scary, but I like it. <laughs> it's scary, but I like it. Well, that's not what the Smyrna church was saying at all. And for us, many times, we face adversity and we're prone to fear. And we don't like it, and we shouldn't. And fear causes us to to become irrational. Fear causes us to to cloud our our judgment and to skew our decision-making. And I've done some really stupid things because of fear. And that's why Jesus always consistently says to his people, regardless of what you are facing, your initial response instead of fear is to trust me. Do not be afraid. Do not let fear grab a hold of you. And I would say to this church, in an increasingly hostile culture to Christianity, even in the good old United States of America, We should never, ever live fearful of anything, of anything. Do not be afraid. I would say to you personally, you should live without fear, without fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And he says this. I would remind you this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're looking at me today and you're looking at this verse to say and, and you're saying, I've never been persecuted for my faith, I would say you probably need to look at your faith. Because what we believe in Jesus goes countercultural to this world. You are going to be persecuted at some point for following Jesus. It's just a, it's just a part of it. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are you if you're persecuted for my name's sake. Our life that we live is not a part of this fallen world. We believe in things that the world laughs at, mocks, scorns. And and the word says that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. But he says to them, do not be afraid. And this is what I want you to see. Be faithful. Even to the point of death. I think that the way this is worded I think it's better, uh, the, the best accurate translation is even until the point of death. It might be for some of them it was going to be 10 days or one month or 10 years. Regardless of the time frame, God always calls us to be faithful. And that is the word that I believe he's wanting all of us to see today. To the church in Smyrna, in the middle of your adversity, I'm not fixing it, I'm not healing it, I'm not stopping it. Be faithful. 
to each one of us in the midst of our adversities that we face. The word of God to us is always, in the middle of that, be faithful. What is it Jesus is gonna say to those who are his? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. God calls us to be faithful. You see, what happens is when, I've seen it so often, when people face adversity, when things don't go the way they hoped, when God seems to have disappointed them and life has definitely disappointed them, they get disillusioned, they get jaded, they quit, they get cynical. They don't remain faithful to Jesus Christ. And God is calling us as his people to regardless of the circumstances of life, the most important thing that he has ever called us to do is to be faithful to him. Think about your own marriage. Your marriage might go through a lot of stuff, right? One of you gets sick. You have a, a financial meltdown or something unforeseen doctor bills or you have anything like that right but a marriage can always stay together regardless of the circumstances of life if they do what they remain faithful to one another and that's what Jesus is calling us to and the word for today for us is in the middle of adversity we are to remain faithful to him regardless and if he doesn't fix it, if he doesn't heal it, he doesn't stop it, I still am his. I'm faithful to him. You see, he would go on to say this. Be faithful, and I will give you the crown of life. Or I will give to you your victor's crown. And he begins to introduce to them this, this idea that you and I need to grab a hold of. I would, say, I would say this. To, uh, this is why I don't do this. Did I lose some screens? I lost some slides. Well, let me just tell you my point. Good thing I memorized it, right? To win, because he introduces this idea of crown of life. There's two kinds of crowns in scripture. There's the crown that's placed on a monarch, like we give you this crown. The other crown is the crown that you've earned, like the Olympics. They would put a crown on you. You earned that. You were victorious. That's the word he uses here. I will give you the victorious crown, the victor's crown. And so I would say to you and I, to win is to stay faithful. That's it. I don't need to figure out how to fix it. I don't need to figure out how to heal it. I don't need to figure out how to stop it. I just need to be faithful to Jesus Christ. That's it. If he chooses in this life to fix it, to heal it, to stop it, praise the Lord. But if he chooses not to in this life, I'm still faithful to him. I will win because I am faithful. Because listen to what he continues to say. He says this. Whoever has ears to ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, okay, here's that language, will not be hurt at all by the second death. You're like, whoa, I didn't know I died twice, right? 
The first death we're all familiar with, right? The second death in scripture is to be thrown into the lake of fire to experience eternal damnation. And he introduces to them, he reminds them to them, if you are faithful, even if this temporary world that you live in, it's not fixed and it's not healed and it's not stopped, because you are faithful to me and you are mine, you receive the victor's crown and that damnation cannot ever touch you. Right? And in fact, if the call of us is to stay faithful, to win is to stay faithful. And if you're like me, you're looking around, and you're like, this is hard, God. That's not fair. That's not right. I'm, things are happening to me, and they're not being fixed, and it's all upside down, and how am I supposed to stay faithful to you? It's very hard to do that. I want to quit. I want to get jaded. I want to just kind of push you aside. What motivates, what keeps me in a mindset of being faithful? It's this. He reminds those believers in Smyrna, and he reminds us. In the middle of our adversity, we're called to not fear, be faithful. How does that happen? We stay faithful, living with an eternal perspective. Guess what? This life does not always turn out the way we hoped. And newsflash, all of us are going to die. I don't think any of us are hoping for that, right? You're going to die. This world is temporary, fleeting. We have no control. The only thing that matters is if you'll stay faithful in this life to him, he promises the abundant life, the eternal life after this life is over. And what motivates me every day, what keeps me focused, what helps me in the middle of my pain and suffering and disappointment is this is not all there is. And all I've got to do is I can't fix it and I can't heal it. I would if I could. I can't stop it. The thing I'm called to is not fear and stay faithful. And as I do that, I'm reminded that there's better days for every one of us. You know, I was in, I'm going to take just a minute here, guys. Give me a minute. I was in the Bahamas a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you knew that, but I was. I'm not very tan, but my wife and I went on a, I wasn't in the Bahamas. I was in Jamaica. Sorry, Bahamas, Jamaica, Aruba. One of those places, I don't even know where I was. There's all those drink. no. <laughs> and this resort we were on, it was absolutely perfect. I mean, the grass, the scene, the setting, it was perfect. I mean, just like, I want to go back right now. You know what? I was looking around, enjoying it that week, and I thought, you know what? It's a little bit of heaven. Heaven's going to be like this. Our, the new heaven and the new earth, I'm going to get to sit by a pool all as long as I want and enjoy it. We have so much to look forward to. 
Because at the end of this book, he reminds John that I am going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. And so the temporary afflictions of this life, as Paul said, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits us. How do I stay faithful in the midst of my adversity? Well, I'm reminded, I remind myself constantly that this is not all there is. He will make it all right. He will restore all the brokenness. He will take all the hurt and disappointment and failed expectations. He'll take it all. And he will bring about what is right and great and glorious. And I get to experience that as a victor wearing the victor's crown. And how do I get that? Just stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Be faithful. Would you sing this together this morning? Seated above, enthroned in the Father's love. Destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned, suffered as if he did. Just stand with me and sing this. All authority. All authority. Every victory is yours. All
Father, as we've seen this morning, in the midst of great adversity or any adversity, you call us to not fear and be faithful. And if we're stuck to you, (laughs) the promise is wonderful. And Lord, that's what keeps us stuck to you in the middle of this is that you overcame and you have provided victory and you are going to restore and renew and make all things right. And so in the midst of a broken, fallen world that pushes in on us, we stay faithful to you. We want to we stay stuck to you because you're the hope. You're the victor. And when the dust is all settled, you will have proved your victory. Lord, keep us faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.